If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up-to-the-minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. Oh, Don't you dare be sour! For your world famous two time champs and feel the power! It's a new game, yes it is! For 12 Pack Radio, get excited, y'all! Hey everyone, it's Brian with 12-Pack Radio, and this is part four of our four-part series breaking down the full Pac-12 season win totals. Of course, this is all dependent on if the games actually happen, but still wanted to go through uh, some really good conversations on each Pac-12 team. And we finish our series with three teams that are maybe not the highest profile teams in the conference, but certainly three teams where we think uh, there are some really intriguing lines on them and wanted to discuss what uh, basically where they're going to be this coming season. We're joined again by Hithliday from Addicted to Quack in the Quack 12 podcast and wanted just to continue this. We cut out the the intro because we had some sound issues, but um, if you haven't listened to all our other podcasts covering Oregon and Washington State, USC and UCLA and all the other Pac-12 teams, definitely do so and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play or TuneIn Radio. Without further ado, part four of our season win total series. So let's assume that we're going to have a full season. Why not? Because it's fun. And we're going to go through the season win totals. And the last three we have now are the three that I think we're going to get the most uh, the most disagreement, I think, among the four of us in regards to the season win totals, which is going to be fun. So let's open up with Oregon State. This is a team that obviously has some momentum under them with Jonathan Smith. They've done a pretty good job bringing in some transfers uh, and have really hit the transfer pool better than a lot of the middling Pac-12 teams in the bottom feeders in the Pac-12 conference. So that's pretty exciting. And their season win total, Max, was something that jumped out for you as maybe one of the best opportunities in conference, assuming all the games are played, uh, because the Oregon State season win total is five in Vegas and five and a half in New Jersey. And again, um, we're, we're, we're talking Vegas and New Jersey because we don't want to put one sports book over the other, but these are two really highly reputable sports books where these numbers are on on the line and i know that jumped out to you because you've mentioned a couple times off air so max uh what did you think about this oregon state program and uh in the the five to five and a half we'll go through the the actual schedule here but seemed like it was a pretty good value on your end i uh first i just want to uh say that i love jonathan smith i think he and the oregon coaching staff that they're leading this program in a good direction but they just, they lost so much on offense. I mean, they lost Jake Luton. Uh, they lost Isaiah Hodgins. They lost uh, their two, uh, their left tackle and their left guard on the offensive line. 
uh, that were arguably their two top offensive linemen. Um, Artavis Pierce is gone, even though, granted, they do have Jamar Jefferson. And two years ago, Jefferson was one of the best running backs in the Pac-12. Uh, but the, de- the uh, defensive side of the ball still is a weakness. And I feel like with Oregon State, like they were a great story last year. And I really thought they were undervalued uh, last season, which is why I bet on them a lot. Uh, but this year I am much lower on them than the market. So with my Pac-12 power ratings, I have them winning 1.58 Pac-12 games and then them losing Uh, 6.42 Pac-12 games. So even if they go 3-0 non-conference and Oregon State's going to be at least a two-touchdown underdog against Oklahoma at Oklahoma State to start the season, that still leaves me below five. Um, so I, I think, I think five and a half, even with the high juice on the under is a great value for the Beavers. We'll go through their season win total here and some of the players that they have coming up at Hithlidae. You've seen a lot of Oregon state being an Oregon fan. You have the civil war every year, but also I know that, um, you, you watch a lot of PAC 12 football and this jumped out at me as well as a, Oh my, if I, you're going to give me five and a half, I'll take that under. Um, what do you think about this Oregon state team? Do you think that they are, um, gonna, I mean, they didn't have a great season this past year, but they certainly uh, outperformed what I think a lot of expectations were of them last year. Um, five and a half kind of keeps them at roundabouts where they were this past season, even though they just see a significant drop off on the offensive front and frankly didn't have a good defense last year. Um, you're right that the defense probably is not going to be amazing. On the other hand, in 2018, it was just historically uh, awful, and they made a lot of progress in 2019. I- I'm not really ready to say it's going to be abysmal in 2020. Uh, I-, I think they're on the right track. Uh, that a lot of their most recognizable players uh, are on the defense, like Kamalkar Rashid, who's you know, the sack master. Um, Max is right that they lose a lot on the offense. Um, but, you know, I, I, I have faith in Jonathan Smith. Uh, ultimately, you know, he's got, uh, he got a transfer quarterback, Tristan Gavio, which I, who I watched in the Civil War because uh, Jake Luton wasn't playing in that game for a reason that I don't understand. And Gavio was just fine. It's not like he was, you know, the reason why they lost that game or anything. Um, they also lose Isaiah Hodgins. That's true. They've got other wide receivers, uh, you know, there were a couple of games in which uh, opponents took away Isaiah Hodgins and Oregon State, you know, dealt with it. Um, I, I just think that the, the offensive stability there is worth betting on. Now, not betting on to cover the over. I've, I've got them finishing at five as well. But, you know, I, I last season, they should have made a bowl. You know, they should have beat Stanford. They should have beat Washington State. Uh, they, you know, they probably, instead of a five and seven team, should have been a seven and five team. Um, or maybe six and six, maybe they got a little lucky against Arizona state who knows, but I, I think they actually, you know, are, are, have the core of a decent team. And the other thing is their schedule is soft enough. They play a bunch of really winnable games at home that, you know, it'll, I think it'll be five, but we'll all be sweating it, uh, about them making a bowl. I think when, when we're thinking about sweating out a number, that's where I start thinking, okay, all right. Like this is where I might want to put a little bit of capital to work. Uh, but you're right. And let's go through their schedule here. Cause, cause obviously, you know, well, actually let me go to you, Rob. Like we can talk about season win totals and sometimes the, the schedule doesn't reflect the quality of the team. So what does beta rank project Oregon state being coming into this season 
and it doesn't see Kristen, uh, Tristan Jebbia yet as the quarterback, but it does see um, a loss of Jake Luton, a loss of their, uh, you know, half of their two-headed monster at running back, loss of their best wide receiver, and, and some of their offensive line. Yeah, I mean, the Hippolyte hit the nail on the head. I mean, that defense wasn't great last season, but they were miles better than they'd been. Um, and they, they're number 14 in returning production. They return 82% of their production on defense. So that, that's positive. Um, you know, like, I, I think what, what could be tough for Oregon State is they were excellent at special teams last season, ranking number five in special teams. Uh, and I... I think it's going to be hard to repeat a number that high. I'm not saying that they're going to be bad. I just, you know, if they're in the twenties, you know, that's going to hurt a little bit. Um, and I, I also think like they, they were 31 on offense last season, but they're number 123 in returning production on that side of the ball. They're only returning 35% of their, their offense. Um, that that's, I, I really like Jonathan Smith as you know, and what they've done offensively. Um, I, I just think five is is just a number a little too far. I mean, Beta Ranks got them, um, you know, for the season at, at like 2.72 wins overall. I think that's on the low side, but it's also hard to go through. I mean, they don't, you know, that's with the FCS game. Like that Oklahoma State game is not winnable for them. Um, you know, and the, there, there's still some games on there that just are, they're going to be sort of tough sledding you know, games for them. Like they don't have Colorado on the schedule. I mean, they have Colorado state, but they don't have Colorado on the schedule. Um, you know, like they do get UCLA this year. Uh, they do get Arizona, both UCLA and Arizona as bad as they are, are still likely to be favored in those games. Um, it, it's a, it, it, but it is, it's definitely a season that you could see the Beavers with like, with a little luck. Like, I don't think that they're so far off five wins, but I also think five wins is probably like the max that they could hit. Yeah, I have I have this is like straight up under I am betting on this. Um and, and there's a couple of reasons. The first is Tristan Jebbia. Like Jake Luton, uh I I perceive as being significantly better than Tristan Jebbia. You lose uh I mean I actually I think their running uh their running game will be pretty good. Jamar Jefferson returns. They lose their best wide receiver. They did bring in some interesting people, Trey Lowe and uh Harrison, who were two tra- four-star transfers, one out of Washington, one out of uh Florida State. But those guys can be like I I don't know. I, I transfers can be coin flips and um, if, if you weren't able to break into Washington's wide receiving core last year, <laughs> I don't know how good you are. Um, and uh, Treshawn Harrison, who knows, like number four athlete in the country in 2018, um, but only caught for about 355 yards in two years at Florida State. Um, they do bring in a guy like Tyjon Lindsay. So I think there will be some wide receiving talent there. But Hodgins was awesome. And losing him, losing three of their starting offensive linemen. And Rob, what was the what was the defense, the beta rank? What did they have Oregon State as uh, being ranked last year on defense? So they were number 77 on defense, which I mean, again, that's a bad power five defense. But the, like that's that's like they were in like the one almost 130 range you know, two years ago so huge improvement there the trouble is though is that i think if you're oregon state like it's often it's easier to go from horrendous to merely bad than it is to like some of those next steps get harder um and that's like some of the make like, the ground that they might have to make up to make up for where you expect some of the offensive production to fall to um and maybe a little comeback on special teams like 
that that's going to be hard i think to for the defense to totally make up with all they have coming back it's i also think that this offense will look different by the end of the season than they will probably in the early parts of the season um you know, as they break in all these new players. But, I mean, I like Mahalchuk. I think he's one of the best offensive line coaches in the league. And I, I, I do think that, you know, that line will gel, um, even with as much as they lose off that offensive line. That's the, the thing that's most confusing about Oregon State. I'm really the, – the skill position losses that they're having to deal with, I, I, I'm not worried about those, especially given the, you know, stability they have on the offensive side, the, the coaching uh, side of the offense. Uh, you know, I think arguably they have the coach of the year uh, from 2019 who's, you know, heading the team. Uh, Jonathan Smith's absence in Washington's offense, like, definitely uh, left the mark. Um, the thing that I think is going to be the reason why Oregon State sort of slides back uh, a little bit. You know, I, I thought they were more like a seven-win team last year. I think they're going to be more like a five-win team this year. Is not any of those skill position losses. It's the offensive line losses are devastating. Um, you know, they don't recruit really well uh, at offensive line. The guys that they're bringing in to, to replace uh, Randell and Cordasco and uh, Lavaca, like, they're – you know, they, they may be good by the time they're seniors. You know, they have a great coach in Mahalchuk, but it's it's going to be bad news on the offensive line for at least the first half of the season. Well, let's get into the schedule here. We have just, just a brutal Thursday game, September 3rd, you know, fingers crossed, at Oklahoma State, followed by Colorado State and Portland State. And I think I think you have to check that Oklahoma State game off as a loss. I'm curious, Rob, what do you think about that Colorado State game, or at least what does Beta Rank have the numbers at? And then I'm curious to hear what um, what Max has on those three, and then the next three games here. So Colorado State's interesting because Beta Rank's higher on them than I are because Be- I are I am because mm-hmm. Beta Rank doesn't see the coaching change. Like I was not a huge fan of the Adazio hire, uh, who is also I don't even think has made it to Fort Collins yet. I think is still in Boston. But um, like they, the Colorado State projects to be, I mean, a, a, a little ahead of Oregon State next season. They return a lot, um, and they have some decent, you know, group of five players coming back. Um, they project as a five-point favorite in that game over the Beavers. I'd have it. I'd have it at that point with as much as the Beavers are losing. I'd have it as a as a toss-up uh, right there for the Beavers. Like I don't. I don't think that the, at that point in the season they're going to be a lot ahead of where Colorado State might be. Oh no. That's not good, man. Max, we're we're taking a look at a, a possible coin flip here. At least what Rob Rob's number ha- has with Colorado State um, on the road. The next three games we have here, uh, Oregon State has Washington State at home, which is possibly a winnable game. Then they go on the road at Arizona State and on the road at Washington. Um, so we have three losses likely baked in here, with uh, some games against Colorado State and Washington State. I'm gonna put. Portland State in that win column. What do you think about those two key matchups there with Colorado State and then uh, the the Cougs? I mean, I, I'm gonna go. I'm just gonna go with Rob's uh, projections here. Uh, I I think that. I mean, for me, I just don't know enough about Colorado State's players. Um, I mean, the Adazio hire is pretty mad, and if he's really still in Boston, that that's that, that's actually hilarious. Um, but it, it's still Corvallis is always a tough place to play. Um, but just based off the beta rank projections and Rob saying that's a coin flip, like I'll, I'll take, I'll take his word for it. So I have, so I'll, I'll put it at 50, 50 for now uh, until I research further for that. 
Uh, and then the Washington State game, that's, I mean, ooh, Washington State, they have obviously the new coaching staff with Nick Rolovich, and it's early in the season, uh, but it is in Pullman. And even though the Washington State, um, the adjustment period there, it, it's going to, I don't think that the Cougars are going to be great. But I still have Washington State as a double-digit favorite over Oregon State. Ooh. So yeah. <laughs> so I, I, it's just because I'm, I'm really, I, I just think that the Beavers are going to have a tough time competing, and that Jonathan Smith, if he somehow gets this team to even five wins, I'd give him Coach of the Year on the spot. Well, Hifflade, after their game at Washington, there's a bye, so we have these six games here. I have them winning maybe two max. Um, at Oklahoma State, Colorado State at home, Portland State at home, Washington State at home. So I, th- that has me splitting those that Washington State and that Colorado State uh, game there. And then they're on the road at Arizona State and Washington. Do you have them at anything more than two and four going into those three games or those six games? Yeah, I actually think there's a pretty good pretty good chance they finish with, with three wins out of those six. Um, I, I'm not high on Colorado State at all. I, I've just been watching Colorado State for too long, and uh, – I, I don't know what it is about that team, but they always seem to fool models. You know, they fool us and plus pretty bad, and they're a, they're a bum bet in bowl games. I, I just don't believe in them at all. I think Oregon State's actually going to win pretty comfortably at home uh, in that game. Um, and, and I think they get the FCS win over my beloved Portland State Vikings. Uh, and, you know, with as many question marks as I have about uh, Wazoo and Washington and Arizona State, uh, I, you know, I, I don't. I don't think calling that a definite zero and three is a smart move. I think they pick up at least one win in there. So uh, I'm pretty comfortable thinking uh, they're, they'll they'll get three and three out of that six. Rob, what do you have for those first six? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that they're. I think that they could be close enough against either Washington State or maybe Arizona State that you pick up. You know, you you have some turnover luck. They could easily win those one of those games, and like they're gonna like they're gonna likely have you know one or two. They're they're gonna steal one or two games here, um, along the way. Like it's it is. I think it will be tough because I do think that there are there. I mean, I I I do. I also like the Washington State's hires that they made. I don't know that they're gonna make a huge difference right off the bat, but um, I like their defensive coordinator or hire. Um, a lot more than the guys that were running it last year. Um, that Washington games, de- I mean, I think they're definitely out of reach there. I just think Washington's defense is going to be far too talented and shut them down. You guys are crazy. I think that's true. But I mean, what's the difference between Wazoo and Oregon State? You know, it, we've been talking about, you know, Oregon State's, uh, you know, defense is a bad power five defense last year. You know, what was Wazoo's? You know, it's oh, yeah. anything. It's even worse, right? Like, yeah. Uh, you know, that was a one-point game last year that was decided, you know, in the last second, uh, and that was in Pullman this year. It's, it's going to be in research. Yeah, um, that, was, that was with like, Jake Luton. Like, Jake Luton is, was good. <laughs> like, I, I just yeah. don't trust Tristan Jebbia to do much. Um, I mean, like, maybe not much. I think my expectations are significantly well, I'm, low. I'm, I'm telling you, you're, put, you're putting too many eggs in that basket. Like, I, I watched uh, Tristan Jebbia in, in Civil War. Like, he was not – he wasn't torpedoing that offense. Like, you know, I, I actually think Oregon State and Wazoo are, are in fairly comparable situations. I, uh, saying that's a definite Wazoo win on the road, I, you know, early on. Remember, Wazoo's breaking in a bunch of new offensive linemen, and their left tackle stinks. Uh, you know, 
I'm not sure they're really in a much better spot. Oh, I, I, you have you have some high level recruits at quarterback, an interesting offensive system, better skill players. It's the offensive line that you're mentioning too, but like it's not like outside of Hamilcar Rashid that there's a murderer's row when it comes to Oregon State on the defensive front. Like I don't know, you you have that 380 pound like <laughs> defensive tackle that they have to keep subbing in every two plays. I I just I don't know. Well we'll we'll see. We'll we'll, we'll definitely. I mean like hopefully these games will be played. At, at least the Washington State game will be there. Um, but, but well, the- I have to say so. Well, one thing about the Oregon State defense though is last year they were really strong um, at generating tackles for loss. And so against that Washington State offensive line, if they can force the Krugers into second and third longs. Uh, Especially against the run and shoot. Like Hamilcar Rashid might be the best situated player in the Pac-12 to murder the quarterback uh, playing in the run and shoot. Like it, it might actually be a disaster for Wazoo. Okay. Well, we'll find out. Three and zero, or three and three. We'll 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 peg him down for maybe three and three here, going after a bye. They have Cal at home, then they go on the road to Stanford, and then they have UCLA at home. And uh, I, I have no belief in this UCLA team, but I just don't see a scenario where they win two of these three games. Uh, I think Cal is significantly better than Oregon State. I don't trust Oregon State on the road against anybody, uh, much less Stanford that at least has the, the bodies to compete with that offense and the defense. But uh, Rob, what, what do the numbers say about those three games? I mean, Cal's beta rank has Cal by 15, Stanford by 17, UCLA by only three and a half. I mean, fair. That's a game that's definitely within, <laughs> definitely within reach. You know, Chip Kelly has um, it circled in black Sharpie on his, on his calendar. <laughs> oh yeah. Right. We got Oregon state at home. Y'all uh, make or make or break for chip season three. Um, but yeah, I just I, I, like it. This is a, this is a tough set. Like I, I, I mean, I, I think you could sort of see them. I mean, but I, like I would say that UCLA game is again like probably a reasonable toss-up. I mean, UCLA has a far worse coaching staff, but they have far better talent. No, I, I that, you know, that was true last year, and Oregon State ran them out of the Rose Bowl, and this year it's going to be in research. Like yeah. UCLA's talent is what's different about UCLA. This is a conversation that we haven't heard about UCLA. What's different about UCLA in 2020 that wasn't true in 2018 and 2019 when they did terribly? Well, no, I, I just I, I think with Oregon State though, like I don't think that like for a lot of teams, I don't I, and I don't think that like they simply just replace players. I think for a team like Oregon State that they develop players often over multiple seasons. Um, and I, I think where where Oregon State is going to be in trouble on the offensive side of the ball is they're just they don't return enough. And like it, it, this feels like a year where they break in some new faces and have some learning. And then maybe next year is a year that you can really bet on them. Yeah. And I, I would still put in the replacement value of Jake Luton. I, I just think that that gap is is pretty big. I mean, he, he was a legit quarterback last year for them. And this isn't even throwing Tristan Jebby under the bus. I just think that the productivity that he found. Uh, I don't know. I just, I liked him a lot, and I was I was glad that he got drafted. I don't think he'll play in the NFL, but I was like, hooray! You know, like cause just because it was more of like a lifetime achievement award of him um, at Oregon State. I, I I agree with Rob. I think it's going to take a little bit of time for them to build um, build up to to be able to be favored by three in in a game against UCLA, even if it's at home in Reeser. Um, 
I think that I think that's the answer. But what do you think? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I watched. I mean, I had I was forced to watch the UCLA Oregon State game <laughs> in 2019, and it, it seared itself into my mind as boy, if you weren't watching UCLA play football, it wasn't like they were a, a hard luck team that was, you know, ah, shucks, just barely beating themselves. Oregon State beat the brakes off of them. And I like Oregon State's coaching staff more than I like UCLA's. Uh, I like, you know, the the uh, – I just like the way that they play football. And so the, 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 the notion that, you know, a team that ran them out of – the building last year, you know, is going to do worse at home. Yes, there are some personnel losses. You're right that they take a while to develop them. It's also going to be the ninth game of the year, uh, or at least in the hypothetical that we're, (laughs) uh, that we're working on. Uh, You know, it's going to be late enough that Oregon state's going to know what they've got at that point. And the idea that like, yeah, that's definitely a loss to a garbage UCLA team. I'm not buying it. Oh no, no, I don't like, I don't want to say like, I mean, I like Banner has it at like, a field goal. <laughs> like that's not like I don't know that it's definitely a loss, right? Like I just I think on some of those games, like if we're looking at, you know, UCLA if you took like UCLA, Arizona, Washington State, you know, on the schedule, like I think Oregon State wins one of those, right? Like I just think that that's where they're gonna be. Right. Like I'm not set like I don't think any of them are definite losses. I couldn't tell you which one for sure is going to be a win. I just I have a hard time like the team's not going to win all three of them. Maybe they win two, but like that that's sort of where they sit, I feel like. Yeah, I, I would add well, that. I would the add... other thing, we haven't talked about Cal and Stanford yet, but you know, when we get to the you know, I I I've got significant reasons to be skeptical of those teams. I'd I throw in a a part of a win for for those as well. Like I, I also have Oregon state losing those games, but you know, for doing fractions here, like give me a quarter of a win for those two as well. I wouldn't be surprised if UCLA is favored, but, and I think that this is one of the winnable games for Oregon. But again, when you went look at the season win total, you have Colorado state, which I mean, let's say they win that. Yeah. Portland state. Let's say they win that now, you, but then you get into all the games where it's like, they're going to be a coin flip at best. And that's Washington State, UCLA, Arizona. That's that's kind of it. And like we, I guess we can get into the. Well, I'll throw it to you, Max. What, what do you think about these three games? So let's see. I have Cal. That is at Oregon State. So that is. Hold on. I have Cal as a thirteen-point favorite in that game. I have Stanford at. 16 point favorite and UCLA I have as a four point favorite. So the, the problem with Oregon state for me is that sure. Like the Portland state game is a win. And then I feel like at bat. So why, even if you give them all three coin flip games and there, and at least with UCLA and Arizona, I have UCLA and Arizona both as favorites and, and, and those games, and Rob has Colorado State as the favorite in that game. So are they really – I mean, yes, they are coin flip games, but they're still Oregon State as an underdog. And we're giving them a big upset with, with either Washington State or Arizona State. And that's still only five wins, and that's still under five and a half. So you would need all of those to happen with another win, like over a Washington or a Cal or Stanford where they're going to be double-digit underdogs or at Utah or against Oregon 
and just it seems like too many things have to go right for this win total to go over. Yeah, the, you're definitely right. I'm taking the under on on Oregon yeah. State. Don't 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 mistake <laughs> me on that. I just I, I, I just I, I have a hard time seeing this being a garbage team. Like I have a hard, a hard time oh, yeah. seeing them being in a significantly worse spot than teams like Wazoo or Arizona or UCLA. Uh, I have a, definitely have a hard time seeing them being worse than Colorado State and Portland State. And like, yes, you know, the, those are those are five games that they they. I don't even know should is the right word, but like those are five games which are definitely within winnable territory. Winnable territory does not mean automatic win. That's why I'm not taking the over. But the idea that people are going to be, you know, laughing at Oregon State in 2020, I just don't see it. Like that is a way too well-coached team uh, for that to happen. Well, let's go to the next three here at Utah, and then they finish out the season with Arizona at home and Oregon at home for the Civil War. Uh I, I just I think this is one of those teams where I don't trust on the road. Um, I, I have the Utah win as a loss. I have the Oregon win at home as a loss. And I just think Arizona's flat out better than than Oregon State from a personnel standpoint. And we do coaching matters. Coaching always matters in college football. Um, but man, I I, I don't know. I, Rob, what, what do you have the what does Beta Rank have that Arizona Oregon State game because I think that's the most important when it comes to them trying to get over that five or five and a half uh, point when it comes to betting the season win total. It's got Beta Rank has Arizona by four point nine, um, oh, almost okay. five points. Um, I mean, again, like that's totally within the realm of hey, Oregon State wins that game, right? Like, I mean, the, each is like, I mean, the, the projection model ain't set in stone. Like, there are big confidence intervals around any of these teams. Um, you know, so like we talked about, like bring your own priors here. Um, I would say like just for my own, like, an, you know, full disclosure, Arizona alum, you know, watch a lot of Arizona football. I think if Grant Gannell is healthy by that point in the season, like Arizona should win that game. I, I think that they will be um, a little further along in their development cycle of their players for another team that really has to build up. Um you know, to it. Although I think, you know, if you gave, if you gave Jonathan Smith, Arizona's players, he would, he would absolutely whip Kevin Sumlin with Oregon State's players by a lot more points. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, Arizona, if Gannell is still, you know, healthy at that point, that, that they likely win that game. Max, your thoughts on those last three games? Uh, let's see for power ratings. I have Utah, as a 19 and a half point favorite. Oh, no. uh, Arizona, I have as a two and a half point favorite. And Oregon, I have as a 28 and a half point favorite. So, <laughs> um, yeah, Utah, Utah and Oregon, those games would be tough. Uh, Arizona, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a winnable game. Um, it's at least uh, according to my ratings, that's the most winnable PAC 12 game that Oregon state has. And so, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they, uh, trip up the wildcats. All right. Well, my season win total, I have Oregon state winning 3.8 games in the season. I'm going to take the under, um, I would certainly prefer the five and a half <laughs> to the five, uh, but it'd be interesting to see what the juice is on that five. Um, Hithliday, taking into account all the, it seems like you were going to take the under, but 
is this a game that or is this a total that you'd be willing to put a little sleazy money on? Uh, if it's five and a half, I'll take the under. If it's five, I'd stay away from it. Five sounds just about right to me. I mean, I want to remind everybody, Oregon State beat Arizona by 18 points last year in Tucson. Like, uh, the, I mean, here's the thing. The, the, reason, the reason that I think that their win total is going to be higher than you guys is, l- let me read their home schedule. It's Oregon and Cal. Okay, probably not going to win those. But the rest of their home games are Wazoo, Arizona, UCLA, Colorado State, and Portland State. You know, are, are they going to win all five of those games? Probably not. But I think they're a better coach team than all five of those teams. I think they have comparable talent and comparable personnel losses to all five of those teams. And uh, I just I have a hard time buying the notion that Oregon State is a cupcake quality team. I think they're one of the best coach teams in the Pac-12. I think you know, and several of those games are late in the season uh, when they're you know going to know you know what they have to deal with. So uh, I, I think, uh, especially at home, Oregon State's not going to be an easy out. And you know, I think they're going to be sitting on four wins going into the stretch and we're going to be sweating that win total all right i think i think their total is likely four wins i mean i don't think that there's some like two win team that this is some like unbelievable regression (laughs) on their part like um you know but i i do think that they have i mean I, I do think in a bad Pac-12, I mean, they're not so far behind, you know, where, you know, Arizona and UCLA are that, like, the, any of those games aren't winnable um, at all. Like, they're all real close. They're just um, – I, I do think Oregon State, however, just that, that given where they are and sort of, like, in their recruiting and their development, like, I just I, – I, I think this is – you know, the, the, all these losses on the offense just come at a tough spot for them. Like, I, I don't think the defense is quite there. Do you have the under wrap? Yeah, I'll take the under. I mean, the, the I, like like we, I feel like we're bad mouth. Like if they're not, if the number had been four, we would be talking about this very differently. I feel like part of the conversation <laughs> is driven by like five five wins is high, five and a half is bananas. I don't like no to go over five or five and a half. They would have to make a bowl, and that that would be one of the more impressive Pac-12 feats in years. I mean, I thought he was coach of the year last year. I agree with you. Yeah, that. And, like, and, and, he, he would, he should that. be coach of the year if he does that for sure. He I mean, should they should have the made a bowl last year. I mean, like yeah. they kind of got robbed. Yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I have to go back and look. No, I, 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 I like this. I like the coaching staff. It'll be interesting to see if they're going to be able to to get to a bowl this year. If they do, I totally agree with you, um, Jonathan Smith. Jonathan Smith, give him a high five. Uh, let's move on to Stanford here, and. I think this is also where we agree slash disagree maybe a little bit. Um, so Jersey has a season one total at six. Las Vegas has it at five and a half. Stanford brings back Davis Mills. They lose Cameron Scarlett. Who cares? They bring Austin jo- uh, Jones, Dorian Maddox, and like two top 10 running backs. Uh, they bring back most of their wide receivers. They bring back three out of the five offensive linemen. And the majority of their defense returns, including Paulson Adebo and um, oh, their secondary coach, whose name I forget, who is quite good. And they have an interesting schedule. Um, Hifliday, what what on earth happened to this team in 2019, 2020? Well, really, it's not something that happened in 2019. It's something that happened at the end of the 2015 season, which is Stanford stopped being Stanford. You know, they lost Randy Hart, their longtime defensive line coach, and ever since then they have not had a high-quality defensive front. In particular, uh, they haven't had a high-quality defensive line. Um, they, uh, 
they lost their sort of offensive identity running back and uh, offensive line push. Um, and, you know, part of that is probably the loss of Mike Bloomgren, who was their offensive line coach slash offensive coordinator. He left to be the head coach at Rice um, starting in the 2018 season. You really saw the drop-off in the offensive line performance at that point. And the problem is uh, David Shaw, you know, has never fired a coach. Um, he's in my opinion, that staff has completely calcified into uselessness. Uh, they are, you know, trying to fit a square peg into a round hole uh, in terms of what their, you know, personnel is like. And uh, you know, I, I I think they hit rock bottom in 2019. I, I think the way that Stanford recruits, it's really hard for them to lose more than eight games. Um, but I, I see. I don't see any changes on the horizon. I think that this is the new normal for Stanford. That 2019 was not a blip. That that's that's how they're going to perform going forward until they clear house. Um, and so I I got the under and I'm pretty confident in it. Oh my goodness, an under six. Yes. All right. Let's. I wouldn't let... be surprised at all by another four four win season. Oh man. Okay. I'm glad I'm glad we're getting into this here. Um, Rob, what what do your numbers have for Stanford? So Baderick likes Stanford a lot more than that. Um, but part of it is just the, the recruiting that they've had, right? Like it's teams that recruit like Stanford. I mean, there's a bit of a covariance problem, like teams that recruit like Stanford usually also have very good coaches. <laughs> so, um, but the other part is, I mean, the PAC 12 just projects to be really bad. Um, so, you know, a team with, you know, players like Stanford, I mean, Baderink does not in any way see Stanford as some sort of, you know, juggernaut, but it does have them um, at, you know, seven point, what is it? Seven point um, seven, six wins um, overall um, and a decent number in conference, you know, 5.86 wins in conference. But it's, uh, you know, with that, I mean, I agree with Hippolyte. I mean, like the only person I think that's really good on Stanford's coaching staff is Dwayne Aquino. You know, like the their their line coaches, you're right, are just are awful. I mean, like since Bloomgren's gone, like they can't run the ball at all, and the, it's all on the offensive line. So, um, I do like Mills. I think he's. I think he's. If he stays healthy, I think he's going to be a. You know, have a pretty good year. Uh, but like, I I think the defense could be the new normal for the Stanford defense. Could be bad. It's interesting outside of Mills. Like, if if you're a Stanford fan light multiple candles for him because Jack West was terrible <laughs> last year. He was so, so bad. Uh, but Mills was able to step up and, and really push uh, Costello out into uh, maybe a better situation in Starkville under Mike Leach. But at the end of the day, and we'll go down through the schedule, Max, but just curious what you think about Stanford. I I kind of agree with Robin Hithliday, but in different ways, where I do think that this might be the last ride of the Mohicans with Stanford. Uh, but it's because there is still a lot of talent here in a bad conference. So um, I do understand that Stanford is on the decline, but I just don't think that there's going to be a, a – I don't think the wheels come off until either next year or the year after um, – but I don't know. Are, are you as high or low on Stanford? What do you think? I thought I was high on Stanford, but Rob, Rob Beta Rank has me blown out of the water. So I have Stanford power rated uh, two points behind Utah uh, and one point ahead of Arizona State. And with that, I have their Pac-12 wins at 4.78 and their Pac-12 losses at 4.22. So, I mean, just with all the talent Stanford has, and I know that they they had the talent level last year, and it just all 
imploded in their face uh, with injuries. I mean, the schedule was unkind. They had that three-game brutal stretch where they had to go cross-country. It was USC at UC, or uh, at USC at UCF, and then they hosted Oregon, and, and that was just a disaster. And then Costello and, and Davis Mills were both hurt. The Jack Wet, the aforementioned Jack West game against UCLA, that was that was one of the more pitiful watches I think of the Pac-12 season last year. Um, but the the thing is, like the Pac-12, there really aren't that many teams that have um, that level of talent that Stanford does. And I think like with USC the year before with with Clay Helton. I feel you can only keep a Pac-12 team with a nice amount of talent down for so long. And so I, I, I think that Stanford and with the expectations now so low that the win total um, that one of their win totals posted was five and a half. And all they have to do is go bowling. Like, I think it's a different story. Like even last year, their win total was seven and Stanford getting to eight games. I mean, I, I wouldn't take that even this year. But now that the expectations are lower, I think that there's a nice buy-low opportunity with the Cardinal. The first three games are Bill and Mary at home, at Arizona, and then USC at home. Kind of a sneaky game. And I believe USC comes off of a win against New Mexico State. You know, knock on wood. So they had Alabama the first week, New Mexico State, and then they have Stanford on the road. And just taking a look at those three, just some really fascinating games. I mean, you have to chalk up the win to William and Mary. But on the road at Arizona, Stanford should win that game, Rob. But I'm curious what Beta Rank has that game pegged at. I mean, Beta Rank's got them favored considerably over Arizona. They've got them uh, as almost a 12 point favorite over the Wildcats. Um, that could be closer. I mean, that that game came in that stretch as part of that Oregon State stretch last year, where they had. I think they had fired. Yeah, they had fired Marcel. They had, no, they had not yet fired Marcel Yates, but like things were just the defense basically quit on the coaches. <laughs> um, and that game was a bit closer. Gunnell really, uh, when he was in the game, was they really able to move the ball? But I still think Stanford's gonna beat Arizona by ten points. And then you have that game against USC Hithliday where they have USC at home. And say what you want about the farm and nobody's showing up. So, like, there'll be no difference if, you know, you can't have fans in the stands here. Uh, it's favored. <laughs> <laughs> but they have a really good record there, regardless of how many people actually show up. And I don't know, like, I think USC wins this game. I'm a big believer in USC this year in regards to just having the talent. I think their schedule is brutal. Um, but at the same time, man, uh, Stanford on the road, three games in. Um I don't know. What do you think about those those first two games there at Arizona and then USC at home? Uh, I, I like him over Arizona, uh, even though I'm I'm pretty skeptical of Stanford. I think the matchup is pretty good. I just don't think that Arizona is going to be able to defend uh, Stanford's receivers um, at all. I, I don't think that they have the ability to take advantage of the you know the big vulnerability in Stanford's offense, which their offensive line has been misfiring for years now, uh, despite a lot of talent there um, and a lot of transfers out of the program. Weirdly, uh, the but I think the USC is going to run them out of the building. Like, I just think it's a, uh, it's going to be a weird thing to say about a Clay Helton coach team, but I think that USC is just a better coached program. They have equal, if not better, talent. Uh, I, and, you know, they beat the snot out of them last year where, with basically the exact same personnel. Um, I, I don't really know what's different other than 
you know, the Coliseum versus the farm, but I don't think either one of those teams has a, you know, overwhelming, you know, they only play well at home, you know, kind of, kind of deal. So I, I don't see that as being a big factor. You know, I, I sort of see the game proceeding in a pretty similar way it did last year. Yeah. So Max, you're a big USC fan. You've seen USC trip up a lot of stupid games and these games between Stanford and USC have typically been really interesting, but Hitler day has a point. I mean, USC, uh, beat the crap out of them 45 20 in that game um, on the road and they had just come off of just a brutal ugly game against Northwestern too which was just made me want to gouge my eyes out and then of course ended up going to UCF and getting stomped there what's the difference between last year and this year um I just think with last year it it, granted it it was uh Slovis's uh first start but it was also Davis Mills's first start and I think with Mills, um, I, I think that in, in this time around, I think that the Stanford offense uh, can put up a better day. I think that they're going to have on defense a lot of trouble stopping Slovis and that this game is probably, even though, granted, David Shaw does not want <laughs> this, game, uh, this game to turn into a shootout, but I, I just think that this is going to be a pretty offensive affair. Um, so, yeah, I just think that Stanford can put up more points and score uh, against the Trojans here, but I just I I don't know how Stanford stops all the aerial weapons that USC has. But I have this at I have USC favored by seven and a half in this game. So I I, I could see like a, a 38-31 type of game. And the game of the year had this what at like fourteen or twelve? Oh, do you remember what it was? Uh, I I think it was a it was like ten and a half or eleven. Okay. The thing that jumps out at me about this team is that even though they have comparable talent at just about every position, I think on both sides of the ball, USC has a significant advantage in the trenches. Like, remember, when we recorded the offensive line podcast, like, you know, we all thought that USC was either the number one or the number two offensive line. Stanford's defensive line lost both of their defensive tackles, right? Uh, Wade Perry and, and uh, I'm blanking the other guy. Uh, they Both of them transferred out. and I have no idea who's going to replace them in the middle of the line. And then, you know, uh, on the other side of the ball, uh, you know, Stanford's offensive line has been its great Achilles heel uh, for the last two years. They retained their coach, Kevin Carberry, for reasons that I don't understand. They have Again, Stanford lost three guys who started last year uh, to transfer. Uh, no one's explained that very well. Uh, and I think that USC has a pretty good shot at being one of the, you know, top one or two defensive lines in the conference. Like, I think that I think that their their significant advantage in the trenches is going to make that game not as close as it should be on paper. The next three games are at US, UCLA. There's a bye. Then they go to Notre Dame. And then they have Wazoo at home. I have the UCLA and Wazoo games being wins, and and I I think it's not going to be close. I'm more curious, Rob, about that game at Notre Dame. Um, I'm assuming Notre Dame's favored here, but uh, what does Beta Rank say? Yeah, Notre Dame's favored. Beta Rank has it at seven and a half. I I think that I think the model is a little high on Stanford, relatively speaking. I would probably put it closer to ten. Um, there like beta rank has notre dame projected at 12 it's got stanford projected at 35 i would probably move stanford down to about 40 ish um there but yeah notre dame that i mean that that's a game that notre dame is going to win almost 80 percent of the time so barring some turnovers like notre dame should should win that game 
Max, do you see any hiccups outside of that Notre Dame game at UCLA? Wazoo at home? Uh, the UCLA game, I have Stanford. I have Stanford as a four-point favorite. So, I mean, I – oh. Uh, yeah, so I think that that, at least for me, I, I think that could be an interesting game. And then the Washington State game, I have at seven. So I mean, these games, like I don't have Stanford as a double-digit favorite in either of these games. So I mean, sure, they, they can certainly be vulnerable. But I mean, if I if I had to pick like straight up wins or losses in those games, I, I think that they go two and zero there and then they lose against Notre Dame oh wow yeah your numbers are I have uh, win percentages rather than than the actual uh, spreads and I guess I can translate those the next time but I just had them as overwhelming favorites in those two games I, I'm not a big fan of either of those teams Wazoo or UCLA this year um, and just so think what, that, what would you if you had to, like if you had to pick a spread what would it be for those games uh, let's see here I have um, I have them as a I have them at 0.8 wins for each of those games. So what would that translate to in a spread? 80% win chance? Uh, around around 10. Okay. Yeah, that, that's fair. I think for both of those. Um, I Certainly, I think Wazoo is more of the underdog, uh, particularly because that Wazoo game would be at home in the farm. Uh, but even that UCLA team, I don't know, Hithliday, like we, we were just dumping all over UCLA for not having the talent at all. And now, even though they have uh, Stanford at the Rose Bowl, it hasn't been an intimidating place to play. And you have bad coaching on both sides of the ball, on both sides of uh, both programs. But just the 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 talent that's at Stanford, I think this is one of those games where talent just overcomes any deficiencies because there's deficiencies all over the board. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I, I hear what you're saying. I guess my response would be, you know, if talent were going to carry the day, talent should have carried the day for Stanford over the last two years. And I, again, I, I keep asking, like, what's changed about Stanford? You know, the whole point of that program is they don't get rid of any problem coaches. They don't change their approach, you know, whatever. So I, I, I am losing to Notre Dame and splitting UCLA and Wazoo. I should qualify that by saying that, you know, I, I did not do – I have not done film study in UCLA in a long time because Oregon doesn't play them in this cycle and, you know, didn't really do see film study on Notre Dame and Wazoo is, you know, having going to have a, a totally new offense. So like, I, I know the least about these three teams, uh, but I do know a ton about Stanford and what I know is not good for them. So, you know, I, I'd say 1.5 or 1.5 coming out of these three games. Okay. The next three would be at Oregon, Oregon state and at Washington. And I think that's a tough stretch outside of the Oregon State team, uh, which they have at the farm. So I have them going one and two in that game. But by my numbers, Rob, I have have them winning Bill and Mary, Arizona, UCLA, and Wazoo, and then Oregon State. So they're at five on my end. And, and I, I think that they're going to be pretty decent favorites in most of those games. Um, and, and that's kind of why I'm more bullish on, on the over at five and a half which is by the way 110 110 so the juice is like is, mellow for the five and a half but what were you gonna say as bad as you think or like as bad as you like because the, the tough thing is is like on any of these pac-12 teams like you start zeroing in on what's wrong with them but for a lot of teams sort of in the middle and i think stanford is on the middle and on their way down like they're still better than like you get, they get all of the bad teams in the South. They get Arizona, UCLA, and Colorado. <laughs> they, 
they have William and Mary. They still have, you know, like they still get to play Oregon State. You know, Wazoo's a bit of a question mark. And then they finish with BYU. And I think BYU might be, you know, decent. But I, I mean, I still think Stanford can, you know, like can beat BYU. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of pretty, you know, games, games that Stanford should be able to handle because, like, yeah, I don't have a lot of faith in Stanford's coaching staff, but I have the exact same problems with UCLA, right? And, I mean, and, and a lot of, you know, you know Arizona staff and, you know, pretty much everyone on call. I mean, Chiaverini's calling plays again at Colorado. That didn't go well. Like, that's <laughs> – so it's, it is tough because I do think, like, as we zero in, like, you can end up sort of, like, focusing in on the warts. But, like, man, this, this is an easy schedule. For the most part, like if you were going to if you were going to have a season where you were going to be bad, like this is a decent schedule to have. Yeah, Max, when you get to their game at Washington, that would be three, six. That'd be nine games. Where, where do you have them coming out after that game? Because because if, if it's at six or if it's at five, then basically all they have to do is win, beat Colorado at home be, or BYU at home or at Cal. And that gives you a big cushion. So if I had to guess, William and Mary is a win um, between the at Arizona at UCLA um, home for Washington State. I think that they win two of those. Um, USC Notre Dame. I think they lose both. Uh, I think I have. Well, actually, I could actually. You know what? Now that I say, I I think they could upset one of USC or Notre Dame. Um, like I, I think, or, or Washington even, um, yeah. So I think that Stanford gets upset once and they pull off an upset. So I'll go, I'll go five wins. Yeah. That Washington one I have is, as being the most likely for an upset, but Hithliday, talk me out of this. Cause, uh, it looks, it looks so easy and, and that's how Vegas builds all those towers that nobody's in right now. Well, I, I mean, let's stick with the, those three in the, in the, uh, the middle of the schedule, the Oregon, Washington, and Oregon State. Like, if I couldn't pick one and two out of those, if I had, to, if my choices were either zero and three or two and one or three and zero, I'd take zero and three. Like, remember, I, like, I, I, they're not going to beat Oregon. I'm a, a little higher on Washington than you know because I, as I explained last time, I think a lot of their win total last year was uh, you know probably some some bad luck in a lot of close games. And then speaking of bad luck in close games, Oregon State should have beat them last year. Uh, you know that was a three point game and it came down to you know last second field goal. Um, you, you know again, I know a lot about Stanford and their. <laughs> They're going to be pretty much the same team as they were last year. And, uh, you know, I'm just not real I'm – I'm not real confident in them rolling over teams that they have a talent advantage on because if they were the type of program that rolled over teams that they had a talent advantage on, their win total should have been much higher in 2018 and 2019. And you can't say, ah, but now they have a coaching staff that's going to take advantage of it. They have, if anything, a coaching staff that's bad and getting worse. So – that, that's that's how I come come to my uh, under. Even though I think Max is right, I think the schedule is a little easier than it was uh, last year. Rob, let's give you the last word here. The last three games: Colorado at home, at Cal, BYU. What do you say about those three games? I think they're all going to be really well. Let's be honest. Don't nobody cares about Colorado. They're going to go two and one. Yeah, they, <laughs> it's okay. yeah. I, I figured they they split at Cal or BYU. 
Right. I mean, like they're they're gonna like those those games are close enough, right? Like I don't, I'm not madly in love with Cal this season, like some people are. Um, I like again, like I don't think Stanford's gonna be great, but like a 500-ish Pac-12 team is certainly within their reach the way the conference looks. Um, all right, I'm, I'm going to take the over five and a half. Max, where are you at? You know, I'm with you, I, and especially because it's only minus 110 on the over. I, I think over five and a half is worth it. Yeah, I just feel like there's some cushion there. And, and again, I hear I hear you, Hithliday, on this This team is not going to be great. But five and a half, my goodness, like just seems that seems pretty low. But so, are you going to take the under? I'll take it. If it's five and a half, give me the under. All right. All right. And then, Rob, you're taking the over, right? I'll take the over. All right. Well, let's go to the – oh, before before we talk about back rubs and foot massages, let's, let's go to our sponsor. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, welcome back, everyone. We have one more team to go through, and that's Cal. And oh my goodness, the national media is just—it's just—they're oh, lubing up them. They're—they're—they're they're, they're making sure they're getting their fingers in the the crevices of that back and that massage there. Uh, it seems like everybody, or or at least a decent amount of people, are all over Cal this year. I I think Cal will be pretty good or competitive in the Pac-12, but certainly not not the Pac-12 North dark horse that I think a lot of people think. And Hithliday, I know you're more down on Cal than a lot of the national writers. Why is that? Well, it's not because I think they're going to be a terrible team. I agree with you. I think they're going to be solid. I just don't think, you know, CBS came out with a, with a prediction that had them at 11 and 1. I'm like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> nope. what? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, it was real. I saw it too. No way. Yeah. Uh, they're the UCLA uh, of uh, of this year, but even even UCLA, uh, <laughs> I think ESPN said they'd win like eight or nine games, which is insane in itself. The thing – so uh, I'll start with the defense. Here's the problem. I really feel like Cal peaked in 2018, and they're, they're on a slide that is probably going to continue in 2020. There's uh, between 2018 and 2019, they had they only had two real personnel losses, but they were real significant. They were uh, Jordan Kanashik, one of their two inside linebackers, who was great, uh, and Chris Palmer, who was their nose tackle, who uh, bizarrely was a two-star who committed to Sonny Dykes. And so you wouldn't think he'd be real uh, essential to the defense. But my stars, I can tell you from doing a ton of film study on Cal in 2019, that they really missed any kind of interior presence on their defensive line, and it blew their defense to hell. Uh, and they replaced Kanashik at inside linebacker with a Juco transfer, very highly rated Juco transfer, named Coin Dang um, from uh, Independence of Last Chance Use fame, um, who 
just stunk up the field. He was probably the worst inside linebacker in the Pac-12 last year. Like, he's built like an outside linebacker. I don't know why they converted him to the inside because he can't play the position. He doesn't have the instincts for it. And so, projecting forward in 2020, they haven't fixed either of those problems. They're still going to have no inside presence in the defensive line. They're still not going to have uh, Dang playing inside linebacker. But it gets worse. They lose more defensive linemen. Uh, Luke Piquet is the most notable one. And they lose their all-star defensive player, Evan Weaver, uh, an inside linebacker. I have no idea who they're going to replace him with. Uh, they also lose all of their safeties, uh, who are, you know, are, are essential to the way the Cal plays defense. They combined for 150 tackles last year, those, those four dudes. Um, so I, I really think their defense is going to continue to slide. The reason that people are really high on Cal is that they have a very high offensive returning production percentage, right? They, they lose practically nobody. They bring back their entire offensive line. They bring back their quarterback and all their skill position players. The problem is the actual production that Cal has accomplished with those starters has been pretty mediocre. There are six teams in the Pac-12 that return more career production on offense than Cal does, despite, you know, having a much lower uh, percentage of returning production from 2019. So, you know, it's like 90% of mediocre is still mediocre. Um, I, I just don't have a lot of confidence that, that Cal is going to experience a bunch of organic growth in all of those starters and, and suddenly take off on offense. Uh, I just don't see that happening. As somebody that has watched a program that has had a terrible quarterback that has has driven down the numbers of his wide receivers. I do want to take a little bit of issue because I think Chase Garbers, when he was on the field, Cal was good. And when he wasn't on the field, Cal sucked. I thought Devon Motzer was awful. Like, I just did not think he was a good quarterback. I don't think he's ever been a good quarterback. And between him and whoever the heck they, they had out there as the third string guy, I just thought that Cal's offensive production was terrible. I 100% agree with you, Hithlade, on the defense because that defense is not going to be not going to be good. The one saving grace, hopefully, possibly, if you're a Cal fan, is Brett Johnson, who is a blue chip defensive tackle in the 2019 class. He redshirted, so let, let's hope that there's some sort of presence in the center of the defense. But I wouldn't bank on that if I were a Cal fan. But at some point, like I think the defense does keep them in in some games and make them competitive. And when you add the fact that, well, <laughs> I was going to say when you add the fact that the coaching staff at Cal, but they just replaced their secondary coach with uh, with Marcel Yates. So that's a problem. Yikes. Um, but- and they replaced their defensive play caller from Tim Droider to Peter Sermon, last yes. team getting run out of Starkville on a rail. <laughs> but but on, on the other side of that coin, they replace um, their offensive coordinator, Bo Baldwin, with uh, that NFL guy who, I mean, Musgrave. Yeah, Bill Musgrave, who I don't yeah, know so if he's going to be. All three of their top dudes are or, former Oregon players. It's bizarre. Oh, look at that. Look at that uh, coaching tree over there. But I, I do think that the, the defense, I wouldn't put the lack of productivity on that defense, on the shoulders of the wide receivers. I would actually put it on the shoulders of their quarterbacks. And, and like, Christopher Brown was good. 208 carries for 914 yards, and I think he turned it on halfway through the season. Marcel Dancy, I think, is a good running back. There's some skill players there and another year in the offensive line, although they, they lose Steve Greatwood, too, as a, as a coach there. Uh, another Oregon alum who, I think, or at least uh, he made his bones at Oregon, right? Well, he didn't attend at Oregon, but he coached there for long enough. He, he probably has academic credit. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, so I do think... I do think that there is some 
there's something to be said, and I think that so the season win total here for Oregon is six and a half or seven. Cal. Oh, I'm sorry, Cal. Yeah, definitely not Oregon. Uh, Cal is six and a half in Vegas and uh, six and a half in Jersey, seven in Vegas. And I think, Max, that's pretty fair considering the things that Hithliday had mentioned. And then there still are some question marks on the offense, but I would assume that it's going to be better. Yeah, I mean, the offensive line, I mean, the offensive line was a disaster last season, but that unit also, they had a lot of injuries. And so it just seemed like it was makeshift for pretty much every game with everyone they were replacing. But all five of those starters return. Um, so I feel like as long as, as that unit doesn't get uh, or doesn't suffer as many injuries as, as it does last year, I feel like that could have uh, some improvement. Uh, I, I think Christopher Brown, even if the offensive line, I mean, I, I don't think that the offensive line is going to be good, but I think if they can even just move from abysmal to like below average, kind of like the Oregon State defense last year, that um, that that the whole offense can improve. But even like, I guess the comparison that I, I've been making, even though I don't think he's as good as Zach Moss, but I think Christopher Brown with a below average offensive line and the amount of power he can generate, he's just going to be a really tough tackle. And I think that he um, can have a similar kind of impact for the Cal offense. Uh, and I, I think I think Garbers is solid as well um, with the defense. The, the run defense was quietly bad uh, last season for Cal. And we definitely and I mean, we, we brought up uh, the DeRoyter to Sermon switch. I think that that's definitely one of the more under the radar storylines of this Pac-12 season because Sermon at Louisville, Sermon at Mississippi State, he was terrible. <laughs> and just the way that um, Wilcox and DeRoyter built up that Cal defense from the Sonny Dykes era was really impressive. And now going to Sermon and having Marcel Yates uh, as the defensive backs coach, I mean, I just, and losing Gerald Alexander to the Dolphins, I think, like that's also a huge blow. I think that he did a really nice job with that secondary. So. I, I think that there is a lot to like for Cal, um, but I think that there's also some question marks. So I, I think I think seven is is a fair line, um, and definitely not eleven and one. That's that's wild. Well, Hithliday, here's your chance to just excoriate the the lack of recruiting from Cal because one of the things that I understand that there's academic standards at Cal and all that stuff, but traditionally. Cal has been able to bring in some pretty solid players on the offensive and defensive lines, and that hasn't been the case at all. So if you want to rip into the defensive and offensive lines, like in terms of recruiting, th- here's your chance, because I think that's super worrisome for Cal going into this season. Well, uh, I- I'm not going to rip into kids, but you're right. You-, you took the words out of my mouth. I mean, Matt is right that Cal's offensive production is, is- – from last year was weighed down and really 2018 as well, given their crazy quarterback situation, although how much that was injury and how much was, uh, oh, no, Brandon wounds, Matt I guess we'll never I, know. I, I'm not faulting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It be, beats me, which like, honestly, I, that even though ball, Bo Baldwin is gone. Like Justin Wilcox had to sign off on that. That's another, like, that's a question mark for me about Justin Wilcox's decision-making because that, and remember, they also put in another quarterback in the bowl game, which, Jesus, that was weird. Anyway, uh, ancient history at this point, right? Um, uh, it, it's true that in 2019 they had a lot of injuries and that weighed down their production. But what that also reveals is that they don't have any backups, right? And so, sure, if they stay perfectly healthy, 
uh, in in 2020 that could be a, a pretty productive offense. I could see some more uh, organic growth, certainly. Um, but, you know, if there are injuries in the normal course of football, there usually are, you know, they could be in some serious trouble. You know, Will Craig, their left tackle, has gotten injured two years in a row. Uh, you know, Chase Garber has missed half the season last year. He essentially missed half the season in 2018, which means his development is, you know, a year behind schedule. Um, you know, and while I definitely agree that Christopher Brown's a pretty good running back, I also like the other running back I have, Mike Lancy. Um, I don't know what kind of offense Bill Musgrave is going to want to run uh, at Cal. Certainly his history as a player and in the NFL indicates that he's going to want to swing the ball around and, boy, you know, I got questions uh, about how effective that strategy is going to be. Like, is he really going to want to pound the rock if that's what, uh, you know, their skill player, you know, advantage is with Brown and Dancy? I'm not sure. Yeah, and let's get into their schedule here because it'll be interesting to hear what you think, Rob. They they are at UNLV, which will be, I mean, (laughs) may may or may not be fun. In Allegiant Stadium. They'll be like the the 15 (laughs) people there uh, (laughs) at the stadium. They have TCU at home and then Cal Poly, who has decided not to go to school in the fall. So assuming that the, all the stars align, Rob, what does Bader Inc. have those first three games at? I mean, they're a huge favorite over UNLV. I mean, UNLV has been one of the worst programs in all of college football. Um, you know, Marcus Arroyo certainly bit off a lot to chew, <laughs> taking over for the former high school coach that UNLV had employed before. Um, you know, they're... Baderank has Cal as a almost 21 point favorite in that game. Um, the TCU game is closer. That Cal's only a you know about a 1.8 point favorite in that game. Uh, you know with a 55 percent win probability. I mean Baderank, um, you know if that game were in a neutral site, they would Baderank would favor TCU slightly in that game. So. Uh, that that's going to be a tight one. I don't. I mean, and I agree. Like I don't think that uh, I I fully agree. Like Cal's offense, they took. They, they sort of they're sort of sneaky. They they they're like Oregon State's defense in that they were so bad under Bo Baldwin like the first two years. Like last year, they got to merely being a bad Power Five offense, creating out of fifty-five in beta rank, and that's pretty good. But even with everything they bring back, they only project to get to like a below-average Power Five offense next season. So it's not going to be like they're not going to suddenly become you know like Oklahoma's offense um there but then yeah they'll beat cal poly i mean like that's gonna happen <laughs> mark it down <laughs> max what do your power numbers have for the cheese bowl rematch oh well i mean for power ratings i only did it for pac-12 games i didn't uh. do it for non-conference just because i don't know those teams as well Hitler but Day. with tcu oh, go ahead. but i was gonna say with tcu I mean, at the NFL draft, it felt like every like third player was a TCU player. So <laughs> the Horn Frogs definitely lost a lot. Uh, but Gary Patterson, but Gary Patterson is a great coach, and I think it's probably. I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see because I, I think with the three-three-five, that that it's going to be something that uh, Cal might have trouble with. But we'll see. Uh, I just I, I'm I'm really I think TCU's offense. Uh, I mean, it, it was it was rough last year, even with having like Jalen Rieger, but uh, and their quarterback situation, it, it's like Patterson just juggling multiple players. So we'll see. It, it could be. I don't know if I want to say it'll be cheese at bowl part two, but I think that points could uh, 
be few and far between. Yeah, Hithlade, do you have any thoughts there? It's, it's been interesting. Cal's always had some really bizarre. I mean, they played Old Miss in in Oxford, like just just some really interesting. That's right, and UNC. Actually, it, it, history really favors Cal in this spot. They've played two home and homes, UNC and Old Miss, and went four and zero in those games. Like. You know, say what you will about Wilcox, but it, it appears that he really does his summer prep for those Power 5 opponents. Yeah, I'm actually pretty confident that Cal wins that game just for historical reasons. Um, you know, TC was a 5-7 and seven team last year that, as Max said, they lost a ton of talent to the NFL um, that they, you know, couldn't use. I, uh, If you let me go for a long time about TCU, it would be a mistake. I, through weird circumstances, I did two years back-to-back full-season film study on them. Uh, even That was 2014-2015, so obviously completely different players. But uh, I have a ton of you know knowledge about Gary Patterson and his defense. I think it's fascinating. Uh, I think it's going to be another really low-scoring game. Uh, like the Chiefs Bowl, probably not a million interceptions. But, uh, yeah, I like Cal in that spot, uh, especially at home. Nice. Oh, well, they go into a bye after that. So let's pretend that they're 3-0, and you know, moving and grooving into the regular season here. And then they have a game at home against Utah. Now, I'm not I'm not big on Utah this year. I think this is a game possibly that Utah can win, uh, or I'm sorry, that Cal can win at home. Uh, the next games they have are on the road at Wazoo and on the road at USC. And I think there's a scenario where they go 2-1 and uh, in those games. Rob... Let's assume that they're going to lose that USC game. But Utah at home and then on the road at Wazoo, are those winnable games according to BetaRank? Yeah, I mean, BetaRank has that Utah game as a toss-up. You know, like 50% win probability, you know, uh, even on the spread. What I – and it has them as a slight three-point favorite over Washington State. I do just want to, like, highlight I think Utah is going to win that game. And I think Utah's going to win that game because Cal has Peter Sermon calling Sermon calling plays on defense, and it has Angus McClure as their offensive line coach. But I think that is good. both of those decisions are going to come back to hurt Cal this season um, because McClure can recruit, but he stinks at the actual technical coaching of offensive line. Um, and everybody already hit on, but it's dead on. I mean, the trade-off for Sermon is is a tremendous loss, and losing. Uh, Alexander for Yates. I mean, the Cal's defense, what they were the really the only thing that they were really good at last season on defense was, um, you know, against the pass, like their run defense, you know, was not nearly as good. And don't forget they're losing four safeties. Yeah, you know, that wasn't the case. 2018 to 2019, they brought back just about everybody on the defense and certainly everybody in their defensive back group. They're, you know, they're bringing back two pretty good cornerbacks, I think, uh, by and Hicks, uh, but the rest of their DBs, big question mark. Mm, yeah, no, good point. And, like, and the coaching is going to be a problem. I, I just thought one of the things that that would make this game competitive is that Washington, I'm sorry, Utah's offensive line stunk last year stunk too. and yeah. they're rebuilding their entire defensive line. So like the two things that normally make Utah, Utah, I think are question marks coming into this year and they're replacing their entire defense against what should be a, a at, at least a better uh, Cal offense. And then the fact that they have it at home. Uh, they certainly could lose this game, too. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they lost. But I do think it's a competitive one. Uh, what do your power numbers have, uh, power rankings have uh, this at, at max? Uh, I have Cal as a four-point favorite in this game. And also, spot-wise, this is Cal coming off a bye. And then this is a Utah team that is one of Kyle Whittingham's youngest teams. 
Uh, this is their second straight game on the road because they have to go at Wyoming the week before. So I, I just I, I think that this is a really nice spot overall for Cal. And I'll take the Golden Bears to beat the Utes. Talk about culture shock from Laramie to Berkeley. Woo, buddy. <laughs> a little bit more to do there in a, in the Bay for this Utah I mean, it's team. Gonna, it's going to feel like a it's going to feel like a vacation though going from playing against one of Craig Bowles' defenses to going to Peter Sermon <laughs> and Marcel Yates coaching the secondary. <laughs> well, also you can get a hell of a steak in Laramie and I don't know where you go for a steak in Berkeley. You got to get tofu or something. I was my guess. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, After USC, it's interesting Utah and Wazoo because, like, both of those teams are are sort of difficult to predict. Like, everybody is predicting Utah to take a step back, but you know how big of a step back? Who knows? Like, having a pretty reliable, stable coaching staff often cushions that blow. And then Wazoo. You know, who the hell knows? As we were talking about the last time we recorded about Wazoo, like, you know, that's the devil magic team in the Pac 12. What I think is interesting is that even that crazily uh, CBS writer who thought that Cal was going 11 and 1, guess what their loss was? It's USC. Like, nobody thinks, you know, yeah. nobody thinks they're beating USC. Uh, so, you know, I got, I got them coming out of this stretch 1 and 2. I, I think they'll split Utah and Wazoo. Don't ask me which. Uh, and lose to to USC and the and and they'll go from a three and zero start to to four and two and starting to get some more question marks about whether this team's a real deal. Yeah, and then they run into Oregon at home, which uh, will likely not be competitive. They go to Oregon State and then they have Washington at home. So the the one good thing here is they have the, their tough games. They do have at home, which is Utah, Oregon, and Washington. Man, I I I. I Maybe that Washington game's competitive. They did go to Seattle. Now it was at like one thirty in the morning, Rob, when they took on and beat Washington. And that was with Evan Weaver playing out of his mind and half the stadium gone. But um, I don't know. What does what, what Bader Rank have that game at? Man, Evan, Evan Weaver owned Washington. <laughs> and it, talked about it. He it, was not shy about talking about no, it. No, he was not. And, and yeah, Ole Miss I, also. I, that's true, but Washington did a pretty good job of owning themselves in that game. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that, that game was oh, it was nearly unwatchable. Um, well, one, one thing Huskies. on that front, though, is Garbers, Garbers looked like just super shaken. You remember like in when you used to play NCAA football and the, and the stadium would shake and your controller would shake and your, your freshman quarterbacks flipping out. That's what he looked like. And then in that second half or the second quarter, I forget what it was. There was a light switch that went on and did, he didn't play out of his mind, but he played like a confident PAC 12 quarterback in that game. I was really impressed with how he carried himself in a really tough spot. I thought the light switch going on was that they started handing the ball off to Brown. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's just <laughs> like they got a pretty clutch DPI call on the drive that kept Cal's game alive. Like, I don't know, man. <laughs> like, no, no. You, I thought the you, light switch was like Chris Brown was just like dragging, you know, dragging Washington defenders for like three or four yards. Like that was that was Chris Peterson totally turtled in that game. Like the the second to last drive Washington had was 15 plays, which uh, I believe 12 of them were power runs. You know, not just runs up the middle, but I mean power blocked runs for two yards. It was crazy. <laughs> I mean, I also say like in that game last season, Washington 
their defense came in last season with a lot to replace. And so how they were playing at the end of the year, which was where we think of Washington having a really terrific defense that gelled by the end of the year, um, they weren't there in the beginning of the season. Like they had some hiccups. Um, and that, that game was really, I think, one of them. Like they had some they had some mistakes against Cal uh, in that game. And they let Cal put together some long drives. So, I mean, I like Washington um, in that game. Like the beta rank, the model has Washington as about a seven-point favorite. I think that's too high. I don't think Washington is as good as the model has them because I think that John Donovan hire is going to haunt them. But, I, I mean, I would still have Washington, even on the road, as probably like a three-and-a-half, four-point favorite in that game. Max, what did you cap that game at? Uh, I have Washington as a one-point favorite in that game. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I, I like, like Rob was like, I'm, I'm low on Donovan. Um, I think that the offense, I'm just, Washington has talent. Um, I'm just, uh, I, I, I just, it's tough for me to back Washington as, as a bit, as even like a touchdown favorite against a, a good team like Cal when I, I just, I can't trust their offense as well. Now, granted, their their defense, especially their secondary, is great. But if Christopher Brown uh, can, and and I mean Washington's uh, defensive line is also like really solid too. But if Christopher Brown can have one of those, I guess Cameron Scarlett like thirty r- rushes for a hundred ten yards and a touchdown <laughs> type of games, uh, things can get yeah, interesting in Berkeley. Remember the Achilles heel for Washington's defense, their inside linebackers in 2019. And, you know, I, I really have no idea how, how well that's going to go in 2020. As we talked about last time, like they still don't have any inside linebackers to replace those. They're still probably going to start a walk on. Like it's an, you know, they bust through the, the, the defensive line. Like, I don't know, Brown could turn some of those three yard runs into a lot of nine yard runs uh, before the safeties come down. Cause remember Washington plays their safeties like 30 yards back. So uh, yeah, I could definitely see going for that strategy well yeah, i mean washington's designed not to give up big plays so if you can get enough going underneath with those linebackers there that that would be a severe weakness for the defense but it just feels like with Kwiatkowski coming back and running the defense like washington's going to be tough to on defense i think this year well let's let's move these last three games because we're going on an hour and a half i know it's late on your end we have at asu a bye and then cal has stanford at home and ucla at home and I have, man, that, that ASU game is interesting. Uh, Rob, what do your numbers say? And Max, what do your numbers say? Beta Rank has Cal as a three and a half point favorite over Arizona State. Um, yeah. On the Beta road. Rank also not, yeah, not, not as high on the Sun Devils as nearly everyone else. Yeah. Max, what do you yeah, have? I have? I have Cal as a one point favorite. Oh man. Okay. I just I just marked that down as a loss, but you guys have that closer. Hithliday, do you think that game's competitive? What the Arizona State game? Yeah. All right. I mean, I'm definitely gonna watch it. I think it's gonna be one of the games of the year. Like, I, one of those two teams has to win, right? Like, I, I, yeah. I I'm skeptical about Cal. I'm skeptical about Arizona State. Those are two teams that the media uh, at large is much higher on than I am. But you know, they, they can't both lose. So, <laughs> uh, you know, call it a coin flip. Uh, you know, Utah and Washington both lost in their game last year. So, well, let's not put it by, uh, by ASU and Cal. Um, that Stanford game will be interesting. Um, I have them beating UCLA. Rob, what, what are your numbers in the big game here? Uh, they call, they call it the Stanford, big game, right? I feel like I'm talking about the Super Bowl. The game. Yeah, uh, it has 
it's at Cal. It has Stanford as a very slight favorite in that game. Um, I would flip that and put Cal as a very slight favorite in that game. Max, what do you got? Uh, I have Cal by five. Oh, man. I'm just counting up the – so, like, the season win totals are – they have it at six and a half and seven. And I'm just – I think there's enough in that coin flippy area where, like, I, I want to take the over, but I but I want to stay away because that coaching staff scares the crap out of me. <laughs> Like if if you had to pick a side, what what side would you pick on the over or under? I get six and a half. Yeah, six and a half or seven, depending. Uh, you can take okay. whatever you want. Uh, I think seven sounds right uh, for them. Um, you know, I think they go undefeated in the non-con because uh, Justin Wilcox, and that's what he does. Uh, I think they get one out of Utah and Wazoo. I think they get. Um, I, I think they get three out of Oregon State. Arizona State, Stanford, and UCLA. I don't know which one of the losses is, but, uh, you know, so so three there plus one from that plus three there, that's seven. Yeah, I'll, I'll take the over six and a half. It's juice at 134, so I actually wouldn't bet on this um, at all. I, I think seven sounds right, and there's not a lot of cushion there where there's some cushion with some other teams. What do you have, Rob? Yeah, I'm with the, I, I have the over. I mean, it's not, it's not by a lot. It's not 11 and one, but... <laughs> I have the over. Max, you see any value in this? Uh, uh, I don't. I really don't. I don't want to lay that juice on. I wouldn't bet it. Like, like, I I think, I think seven and five would be my best guess. Um, I mean, my my Pac-12 power rating for the like, I have Cal at five point one nine Pac-12 wins and three point eight one Pac-12 losses. So if you if you factor in the non-conference, it's probably around like 7.3 for Cal. Um, yeah, I like, I, I, I think, I think the bear, like seven and five would be my best guess. So seven, I mean, that's stay away six and a half. Yeah. The, the minus 134, it's not enticing enough for me to go over that. The thing that's brutal about Cal is that w- guess what two teams they miss out of the South. Colorado. It's Arizona and Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I mean, that's the thing that's sort of, yes, I, I spent the whole podcast being skeptical about Cal, but what I said at the very beginning was, I think it'll be a pretty solid team. I think if instead of missing Arizona and Colorado, they missed Utah and Arizona State and got to play Arizona and Colorado, I'd be very comfortable calling this uh, an, you know, an over on even an eight and a half. Um, it's just, God, it, it's, I mean, this is the thing about both Cal, we saved two interesting teams for last Cal and Stanford, because those are the two California teams that play in the North, which means every year they got to play a each other, B Oregon and Washington, uh, C the crazy wild card that is Wazoo. Uh, they got to play Oregon state, which is, uh, I think we all think at the very least the team that's coming up, right. Is that can be a danger to trip you up. Uh, they have to play USC every year because it, that's the California agreement. And uh, so, you know, the, their advantage uh, from what teams they miss out of the South really oscillates. Um, uh, so, you know, both of those teams can, you know, you can think of them pretty highly, but their schedule is just going to be brutal every time. And it's going to weigh down their win total. Well, CBS disagrees oh, with that? you. Stanford plays Notre Dame every year. You know, good luck, guys. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what they were thinking. You already got you. You already got USC every year. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Um, will it be, it'd be look if if they overperform, it'll be a fun story. 
and uh, and maybe we'll have to rethink our coaching thoughts. No, we're not going to rethink our coaching thoughts, but it'll be a good story. Um, l- let's end this here, guys. Thank you for joining. Uh, that is all 12 teams, every single season win total. Let's hope that they all happen. Um, guys, thank you for coming on. Tune in next week. I don't know what we're going to talk about. It'll be something. Well, it, it'll if they be reschedule the season, we're not redoing this. We're just re-releasing this. Yeah. <laughs> just <that much. laughs> I'm just... This is, I cannot do another Pac-12 season win total podcast. I'll talk about anything else. We're tapped out. For sure. Well, guys, I know it's late on your end. Thanks for hopping on, and we will catch everybody next week.